As human beings, we spend a lot of our time stuck, mired in things like isolation and addiction, regret and resentment, bigotry and abuse. The list of things that weigh down a human life is lengthy and wearisome. But when freedom finally comes, it often appears in unexpected ways and from unexpected places. The Stuck Audio Project is about preserving and pondering those stories of liberation. We believe that by hearing and receiving the stories of others, we open our hearts to the forces of change. The stories you'll hear on the Stuck Podcast come from ordinary people, reflecting on their daily journeys with Christ. On the journey of life, some have come far, and some still have a long way to go. None of them are perfect, but all of them have had genuine tastes of freedom. Today's entry is from Dean Gruner. He tells a powerful story about how three men's lives, and ultimately also their deaths, profoundly impacted the trajectory of his life and slowly released him from a life of self-absorption to one of purpose and meaning in faith. As you listen to Dean's narrative, pay close attention to how themes in his life might impact and intersect with your own. Thank you for listening. Hello there. My name is Dean Gruner, and I've got a story that I thought might be worth sharing. So I, I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis-St. Paul, and we went to a Missouri Synod church there religiously. So I was there every Sunday. And growing up, I didn't realize it at the time. I thought we were just a typical church. But I found out that we were one of the most conservative of the Missouri Synod Lutheran churches that there were. So I grew up in a world where it was all about the uh, Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the law. And we didn't talk much at all about grace. So when I got to college, uh, I went to a, a Lutheran college, uh, St. Olaf College, and I started to hear there a little bit. And I, to be honest, I didn't go to the church that often there. But I started to hear some about grace, and it was like almost a revelation for me. It was like, really? There's grace with this too? There's God's love? And then I, I met my wife, who I dated for four or five years before we got married. And her parents went to an ELCA church, or what later became an ELCA church. And she was really good friends with her pastor, who was this very kind, at times a little irreverent fellow, who uh, was just so interesting. As time goes ahead, I was in medical school, finished medical school, went to residency. We started a family, moved to our place where we've lived since 1983. In our 30s, like so many people, like I see with my three kids today that are all in their 30s, it's a real tumultuous time. Uh, You're getting started. We had three children in four years. Starting my practice, I was trying to get busy as a physician. You know, we were thinking about when we had to be able to buy a home, buy a new home. We had all the issues of getting started with finance issues. I was starting a new insurance company. And when I look back at it now, my 30s was a time where I was a pretty, not entirely, but I was a fairly self-centered guy. It was a lot about what I was doing, what my wife and I were doing, what we were doing with our kids. Yeah, I taught Sunday school and stuff, but 
I really was fairly self-absorbed. And then my 40s came. And in a matter of a couple of years, my world really changed dramatically. So first, my brother-in-law, he was just a really lovable guy. And I remember so clearly standing at his kitchen sink while he was carving the turkey in uh, December would have been of 94. And I was harassing him because he smoked. And as a family practice physician, I knew that had lots of risk with it, including heart disease. And he said, yeah, 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 Dean, I know, I know. I tell you what, nobody in our family has ever had any significant heart problems and turn, they turn 60. So when I turn 50, you can harass me all you want and get me to quit smoking, but not until I turn 50. And at that time, he was 45. So I said, okay, Scott, that's a deal. So when you turn 50, I'm going to uh, harass you and get you to quit smoking. Well, five days later, he died of a sudden heart attack. And it was like, what the heck? A little over a year later, my father uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer. Now, he had smoked for, in medicine, we'd call it about 90 pack years. He had smoked for 30 years, three packs a day. So three times 30 is nice. He had about 90 pack years. So I knew he was at risk for that, but he got lung cancer. I was at that point living over about 300 miles away and got the diagnosis, talked about it with my cancer friends. And they said, well, on average, Dean, you know, he probably will live eight to 10 months. Well, truth be told, he lived 15 weeks. And uh, I was really proud of the fact that I made it home 12 out of 15 weekends to see him. It was a five and a half hour drive each way. Every time I went there, he'd say, what the hell are you doing here, Dean? And I'd go, what the And he, he said, usually home with your kids. And then I'd commonly, I'd, I'd leave early in the morning Saturday. So I'd leave like 530 in the morning, get there by 11, spend the afternoon and evening with him and drive back at home like midnight on the same day. So then he died. And then a year after that, there was this fellow at our church who was sort of the community stalwart. He started our community foundation in the 80s. He, he just he was just a, a real community do-gooder. And uh, he was sort of my mentor. And on top of that, he was funny. So every week after church, we'd go to the 8 o'clock service. Almost every week, he'd be out there between services. And about 9, 10, I'd see him on the narthex, and he'd go, hey, Dean, I got another one. And that meant he had another Ole and Lena joke. So here this guy, probably 30 years, 35 years older than me, every week telling me some new stupid Ole and Lena joke. It was April of 97, and our next-door neighbors had extra tickets to go to a play about 45 minutes from our house up on the University of Wisconsin Green Bay campus. They said, well, who should we give them to? My wife and I said, well, why don't you give them to to Paul. Paul and Elaine, they would probably be able to use them. And they never go to these things. So call them and said, sure, we'll take them. So on their way to that uh, play that night, they turned in front of a semi and they were both killed instantly in that car crash. So in a matter of 
little over two years, I lost three of the guys that I was closest to. So, you know, and it just turns out that I was in my early 40s. So some people might call that a midlife crisis. At the time, I just felt like it really rocked my world. And it was like, well, what am I going to do about this? Now, when I look back, it makes sense. At the time, it didn't make any sense to me. I was just sort of, uh, I wouldn't say I was mad at God. I was just sort of like, what does this mean? You know, what's going on? This is just crazy. So the, the first thing I did was in our uh, organization I worked for, had some people that were really persistent in bugging me to do a personal mission statement, which I'd never done before. So I had sat down, I went back and I looked and I had actually started a very, very preliminary draft. Interesting enough, I had done that over Christmas 94 before Scott died. So uh, I then sat down and for the first time I actually drafted something up in in a Word document. And since then I've revised it probably three or four times since I did that. But it's largely unchanged since uh, 2000. Uh, I carry it with me in my uh, planner. When I was in a business world, I'm retired now for three years, but I still keep it in that planner. And that really gave me a direction of something other than what I wanted to do here on Earth. Because what I wanted to do before was like I wanted sort of more material things and I wanted to achieve this. I was very achievement oriented, so I wanted to achieve this and achieve that and achieve that. And I decided after going to those funerals that at those funerals, nobody talked about what Scott or my father or Paul had achieved in their life. They all talked about what type of person they were. So I decided at that point I needed to really focus my mission statement on what sort of person I was going to be. That was very helpful. The second thing I did was I had heard for years and years that I should have a daily devotion and read the Bible. Well, you know, I was so darn busy. I said, I don't have time. I don't have time. Someday, someday, someday. And I was like, well, someday is never going to come. So I started thinking about it. When am I ever going to do that? Well, my world was pretty crazy as a family practice physician back in that era. You know, I would end up going to the hospital. I delivered over 70 babies a year. So the phone would ring day and night all the time. Uh, Then I'd go to the hospital and it was rather nuts. But what I decided was that I was committed and had been ever since I went to medical school to always eat breakfast. So I always sat down and had a bowl of cereal or something for 15 minutes before I went to work. And usually as I did that, I started uh, sort of, uh, I didn't read anything during that time, but I sort of organized my thoughts around what was I going to do that day? And what did I have to do? Do I have to go to the hospital? I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Do this? It was my to-do list. And I decided to stop doing that. Instead, I sat down every morning and over breakfast, I opened up and I decided I'd first just read a chapter out of the Bible, a chapter or a morning. And I started with the New Testament because I was pretty decided that the Old Testament was going to be all about law and sort of be a downer, I guess, to read it. And, you know, if you read a chapter a day, you get through the whole New Testament and the whole Old Testament in about four years. 
So now I look and I say, well, you know, I'm I'm think I'm on the fifth time reading through the whole Bible and doing that. And then I try to find different sort of daily devotions. So I've read a whole bunch of different devotional books. I read that each morning and then say a brief prayer. That really helps center me so that each day I would get off on a good start. And it wasn't just breakfast. It was the breakfast plus that. So uh, that was the second thing I did. And then the third thing I did was I had something that Paul and I had started. So we had, in 96, we had uh, contacted our synod to see if there were any men's groups around in various Lutheran churches. And what we found out was that about like 125 churches, they gave us the names of three churches that had a men's group. Three out of 125. Now, interesting enough, 125 churches, they all had women's groups. So it's really clear that men's groups were unusual, and you could say we were slackers. So we called the three churches. Well, of those three churches, one, they didn't meet any longer. The second was a group of retired guys that met together for breakfast once a month and chit-chatted. And the third was sort of on sabbatical. So there were no active men's groups. So what Paul and I had tried to do was once a month have a breakfast at our church. And when we brought in some outside speakers, we were pretty successful. We actually got 20, 30 guys to come to some of these, but it was a lot of work. I mean, cooking breakfast for 20, 30 guys was a lot of work. So after Paul died, I, about several months later, I said, boy, if I didn't do something about this men's group because I had done nothing for the first several months, he would be really unhappy and he'd be very disappointed in me. So it might be it was that Missouri Senate guilt, but I said, we got to do something. So I talked to three other guys, a guy I worked with, uh, a retired guy who was sort of the, the sage, the wise sage of our church, Egan, and then another guy. And I said, how would you like to get together each week for breakfast at a local restaurant? And talk about our faith and so forth. Well, you know, pretty quickly we figured out that the way that worked is we got together for breakfast. The first 20 minutes we talked about what was going on in the world. And uh, we live in a near Green Bay, Wisconsin. So of course you talk about the Green Bay Packers and, and whatever else is going on. But then the last 30, 40 minutes we would talk about maybe a book we're reading and we'd read a chapter a week and that sort of thing. Well, you know, that group, has changed through the years. Uh, we met at a restaurant with sort of a, uh, two different tables, which grew to be about a dozen guys, and any week there might be anywhere from six to eight attending. Now we meet by video conference because of COVID, but we usually have somewhere between eight and 10 guys that meet each week, and the group has varied through the years. But I was thinking the other day, if we've been meeting for 23 years, and if I make something like 80, 90% of the meetings. So I, it was not often that I missed, but if we were on vacation out of town or something, but I'm, my, I've probably had a thousand serious conversations with other men about our faith. Now, how cool is that? These guys commonly don't talk about me, but I, I probably a thousand times. So tomorrow morning, I've got my men's group again. And we're reading another book by a pastor, you know, one chapter at a time. And I'll have another serious conversation with probably somewhere between six and eight other guys 
about our faith. So, you know, the interesting thing to me is when I look back at this, at the time, not much of this made a lot of sense when those three men of my life died in the mid-90s. But I made some pretty simple decisions that were, I guess you'd say, investments that have really paid off in my life and make it so much more valuable and meaningful to me than it did 25 years ago. So looking backwards, life makes sense. Looking forwards, you know, at the time didn't make much sense. Thank you for listening to the Stuck Podcast. We want to invite you to engage this material even further through the show notes below. There you'll find a series of questions, prompts, and biblical texts that will invite you to reflect on how God is at work in your life and to think even more deeply on the places where you might, in fact, be stuck. Thanks again for listening.